right, boys. We're back at the end of the 100. I got my clothes on, so I'm slightly more recovered than you guys. Firstly, who am I speaking to here? Daniel Quinn, and I've got my clothes on too. (laughs) (laughs) Bike clothes, yes. Uh, Lewis Greenhouch. Paul Gerloff. And guys, that was a hell of a day. How did you guys get through? Uh, I didn't really. I sort of just grovelled the last 15 k's and staggered to the end. What were the favourite bits? Oh, definitely the middle loop. Um, I love the yeah that flow and the yeah, and I was feeling good then, so that was good. How about you? Um, well, this is my first Upway Odyssey, and I think I was completely hoodwinked because everyone said it was 2,000 meters of climbing, and less than 100 k's, and it was just one that kept on going and going. But yeah, it's just one of those races where you absolutely cook yourself. You just get in the box and get on with it. Yeah, look, I've got to say, like, the last 20Ks was absolutely brutal, but it was probably the most rewarding bet, to be honest. Because if we were to finish at 75, I don't think I would have dug as deep, but I can certainly walk away thinking that I gave it every little ounce of energy and determination I got in my body. I couldn't have given it any more. So I'm, yeah, pretty happy with that effort. What about the vibe out there with all the with all the other riders and being back here at the sort of village? It's pretty cool these little events, aren't they? Uh, classic support from everywhere. It's a bloody great time, and you feel it. But do it again, maybe not tomorrow though. Well, you just listened to a little snippet of the episode that I did last week when I took the microphone with me on the Otway Odyssey and I recorded some of the snippets along the way of this amazing adventure. A 100k mountain bike race, a 100k gravel race, the new world that I'm in. I'm falling in love with cycling again. I've almost come full circle. I'm back in Australia and I'm racing these local events. Okay, I wasn't doing mountain bike or gravel racing when I grew up, but it's still the same people. It's still the same feel. I'm packing my car, I'm driving out to these events, and I'm meeting the locals, the people who have fallen in love with cycling the same way that I did when I started. I'm really loving it, and I'm loving the connection with our major sponsor, Rafa. That's what their ethos is. They're trying to get cycling to be the most popular sport in the world, trying to get people to fall in love with cycling, riding bikes, everything involved with cycling, racing, bunch culture, kit, of course. That's what I love about Rafa, and that's what I love about what I'm doing this year as well on the bike. It's been fantastic, and listen to that episode, you'll understand it. The people I talk to, they're not professionals, they're people just loving riding a bike. This week on Talking Luft, I've got the winner of the Otway Odyssey. Someone who has fallen in love with cycling and continually loves racing and riding his bike, Brendan Trekkie Johnson, or Brendan Johnson. He's from Canberra, he's an amazing rider, Australia's most successful mountain bike marathon rider. He's won everything in Australia in the marathon, whether it's one or two times or three or four, he's won everything. But he crosses across to the road as well and he's awesome on the road. He's won the iconic Melbourne to Warrnambool. He's placed in the Australian National Championships against the professionals who race overseas. Plus he's winning criteriums. Plus he's got his own business. He's a full-time electrician. He's got his own family. He dabbles in a little bit of motorsport as well. He does everything. He squeezes cycling in and he's one of the top performers. The best part about Trekkie is he's just a down-to-earth, really great guy. I got him for Talking Luft. I got a bit of a backstory because he's got a really interesting story not that many people know about. So sit back and enjoy this one. This is a fantastic Talking Luft with a really great guy. We're here with Talking Luft. I'm sitting down with none other than Brendan Johnson. He is also known as Trekkie, legend in the mountain bike scene in Australia, more specifically the marathon mountain mountain bike scene, but also on the road. Um, a bit of a bit of a weapon, actually. I got to meet you probably about what do you reckon that is? About six six or seven years ago now. Um, Would be, yeah. Welcome to the pod, mate. First of all. Oh, it's an honour, Mitch. Um... Yeah, obviously followed you along and then um, in your racing and then like the, the pods obviously got really momentum lately and there's some, um, yeah, some some much greater hitters than myself um, prior to me. So, um, yeah, it's exciting and, um, yeah, a little bit intimidated. 
Hey, don't sell yourself short because um, we were down at the Otways just the other week and um, you were nice enough to have a chat to me because you were the man to watch there. And I loved, I sort of loved the flip of positions there for a moment. Like a couple of years, you've sort of given me a little heads up. Hey, mate, got the Nationals coming up. Any advice, you know, coming to the Nationals? Because supposedly I might know what ha- would happen there, you know, with all my experience. But I liked it. We got down to the Otways and I was like, mate, what do you think? What's going to happen today? Like, help me out. I'm feeling nervous. You know, it was it was quite cool. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like the, it, I don't know, I think um, there's heaps of people you could talk to pre-road um, nationals, which is like the main road event I do each year. Um, and I think like someone like yourself who has like a really um, kind of cool take on it and I think, um yeah, I just appreciate, you know, the, the chat even even um, as well as the advice. So, um, for sure, it's, it's paid off each year and, um, yeah, this, this year definitely so. So, um, yeah, and then it was, like I was saying to you, um, down at Otway, it's so, so cool to have someone like yourself on the start line with, with, with all us um, kind of domestic guys and just right out of your depth. Um, and, yeah, just not afraid to take it on. So, I think that's, um, yeah, shows, shows your character. I think a lot of... Lot of um, X pros and that probably you know they wash their hands of it and um yeah leave it at that but like to dip into other disciplines and, and challenge yourself that way um even if you're fit than you were it's like yeah that's pretty commendable mate it was i really did bite off more than i can chew down there i tell you what you guys were very kind to me up the first climb laid, allowed me to hang on there but after that it was all it was all racing and I paid for it. I duly paid for it. That was seriously hard. But we talk about that in the podcast last week. Um, let's get on to you now. I want you to just give us a little bit, bit of a background about you because before we go into talking Luft, I want to talk about your story a little bit because it's it's a really interesting story. Um, I want you to tell me there's something that I don't actually know and I couldn't really find out too much about it. Tell me a little bit about your very, very beginning of cycling, um, how you got into it, and was it all about mountain biking for you? Because I did see that you went to the Junior Worlds mountain biking or was it about road racing? And what was your aspirations when you started cycling? You're like, I want to be like the Tour de France because typically the people I have on this podcast, that's all it's sort of, you know, the pinnacle in Australia. We look at the tour or we look at European racing. But for you, was it the same or was it something different? Yeah, for me, I think, um, yeah, I started off obviously following um, my dad um, around on the bike and, um yeah just doing road cycling is probably um a lot of people have and then then we got into some mountain bike and um and yeah it was sort of um a mix of the two like kind of endurance like my dad was into Ironman and stuff so I kind of had an appreciation for endurance sport and then um I found that mountain bike was like you know just such a good um mix of of that sort of fitness element and like endurance as well as um skills and fun so um pretty pretty soon after doing a like you know handicaps and that sort of stuff um on the road you know jumping onto some mountain bike racing and then um kind of heavily into like cross-country mountain bike which is like you know your hour and a half like olympic format but as a you know 13 or 14 year old and right through to um yeah like junior worlds and then some other world championships and stuff so um for me it was like we watched the tour a lot and like um stayed up late all that and and that was so cool but like um I just found this passion for mountain bike and yeah, that kind of took me on that, that journey. Um, yeah. And he- heavily in sort of cross country. Well, you got to tell me about 2009, um, a big year for you. I think you're about 17 years old and the ball had started rolling for you in cycling and you were diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, and I know you've spoken about this quite a lot. I just think it's very uncommon at that age. And I think it's, we're all aware of you know the big name Lance Armstrong, testicular cancer and, and cycling. Tell me a little bit about this for you and first of all, that moment. Let's just focus on that moment when you were 17, when you got that diagnose, um, diagnosis, what that was for you, that feeling and that moment in that sort of period for you. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was dramatic, let's say. Um, final year at high school, but to be honest, I was like just focused on on riding my bike and um yeah like getting to the we had a home world championships in 2009 in stromlo literally um 
less than a kilometre from where I'm sitting now and that, that was just such a huge thing and, like, um, things were going well, like, as you know, um, good sort of Australian season and then we went and did some um, World Cups and stuff and it was um, a really good trip. But just, like, prior to that trip, I'd kind of found this lump and um, mm. so at the time it was like, you know, this is probably a period of three months or something that I'd found it till the, till the time I actually um, got it checked out. Um so I did this whole trip of World Cup and ran racing and stuff. And it was all, to me, everything was fine and, like, um, going well and we are building to these home world champs. Like, we had a um, couple of weeks at AIS and stuff and, and you know, it was it was really going well. And I think even, um, you know, I was probably ranked, like, out of our team of six riders or whatever national team, I was probably, like, probably, you know, the number one ranked for the race. Mm. So you get, like, the frontline start and everything. So it was kind of all building up and it was um, – looking really good and, and at that point in your life you're like um you know a, a little lump is not something to worry about or like even sort of yeah care about i guess but um anyway we went on this trip and, and then i got back and i was like oh i should i should get this checked <laughs> out so um fortunately um our doctor is like uh, he's retired now but a really good family friend of ours and um he did some cycling as well. So we were just out on a ride one day and I mentioned it to him and he said, look, come in Savo or whatever it was. And, um, yeah, God, like from, from pretty much that chat, um, within a couple of days I'd had like ultrasound and a specialist appointment. And then the next day was to Sydney for, um, like big, big surgery. So this is probably about a month out from this, um, Canberra World Championships. And it's just like, for me, I can imagine the exact situation. You're just like, well, it's not going to be anything too bad. I might go away or I don't know. I'm a bit embarrassed about asking someone. And like you said, thank God you had that family doctor, someone you could just talk to in a really comfortable environment out on the bike. And I can almost assume, and maybe I'm wrong, that he would have probably downplayed it as well. Oh, come in. We'll just check it out, you know. And just to be thrown that curveball, then like, oh, it's actually something really serious. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like, um, you know, cycling has been so present in, in all, all my whole life. Um, and even at that moment, it's like it kind of brought me close to this person who I could talk about such a, yeah, I mean, kind of sensitive issue with. So, um, yeah, it's like it was quite quite good that that relationship was there. And then otherwise, you know, how long, who knows how long, much longer I would have put it off. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of moment, he, he, he did downplay it, but he was keen to get looked at further. And it, it all, it literally was so quick, you know, like I was living um, on the South coast of New South Wales at that point, And then the next day we we're in Canberra and then the next day we we're in Sydney. And it was like, just a, just a full whirlwind, you know, like something you, um, yeah, don't expect. And, and I don't think you have the kind of, you know, um, courage to, to deal with at that age, at least. Mm. And tell me about then, because you're still able to ride the worlds. How were you able to spin that? Uh, well, I had this surgery and it was it was epic. Like, um, had obviously the lump stuff removed, but they go then for like um, the lymph nodes and glands, um, which are actually like behind your stomach. So it was like a super surgery. Like we, I was like couldn't. Um, you know, you get out of bed for like a week because because your stomach muscles are like quite um, compromised, and that's kind of surgery. Um, even though um, the specialist at the time kind of got linked into the, the cycling story and stuff, and he, he wrote a bit himself and um, and the surgeon and that. So they, you know, there's a few different ways they can do it. They can like cut through the muscles or like um, leave them intact, and it's a, it's a bit better for like your strength and recovery. Um, so they managed to do that, and then like as I kind of um, started recovering from it i was able to like do a bit of a spin on the bike or whatever and um it ended up that like in that next two or three weeks i could still pedal the bike fine and like got better and better but i do remember um yeah like in in the accommodation before the race i was like in the shower and like had these kind of bad wounds and i I remember like one of them came open was open or something and I saw it and I just hit because I'm not good with blood, I just hit the deck in, in the accommodations like days before the race. I'm in the shower on the on the floor because <laughs> I've passed out from the grossness of this um yeah, this surgery wound. So um yeah, it was still quite fresh. But um yeah, it was just a shame because you know it was tracking well and and to be honest, um that's such a key point in like in make, making something of yourself at that age, I think, especially in cross country mountain bike, like you don't get opportunities to race from the front row 
very often and like I think mm. I had one there and um I was in good shape with the home track like I liked the track and um yeah it was just sort of a bit sort of gut-wrenching to to have you know obviously I wasn't um moving so well um for the race but to be honest it was still an epic experience because um yeah there was a lot of stuff around like the story or whatever and it was just so much local support and you know mm. a lot of um friends sort of came with me on that ride and like um yeah we just just had my back and it was it was really special in that way but yeah obviously a shame to um yeah lose the lose the shape and the the condition it sounds like it was just exactly what you needed in such a dark moment to have that pulled away from you as well would be just like i'm trying to deal with this as well and to lose that like you said i'm in the shape i'm on the front line i'm maybe never going to get this opportunity again i need this you know give this to me at least and from what i understand too 10 years on was hashtag 10 years on was that the correct hashtag that's the one yeah um was something really special i've just learned about this that with cancer with testicular cancer especially or with all cancers i think it's like you explained, it's never gone. You know, they can never give you the green light. You're good to go for the rest of your life. It's something you got to continually monitor, continually make sure it's dormant or, you know, not, not popping up again. And 10 years on was a real um, pinnacle point because you had no signs of any cancer still. Um, this was in 2019. And what I saw from this, from what I could see and read was it has given you this strength, this I've overcome this. I've been able to overcome this and I'm back to my best. It's it's sort of given you this extra strength that maybe you wouldn't have had or it's taken you in a different direction that of course you wouldn't have gone in this direction. Tell me a little bit about what actually having that testicular cancer and overcoming it, what has it done for you not only in those first 10 years but right up until now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, being so young, it was, it was just daunting initially and um, something that, yeah, I don't know. That I was fully equipped to deal with, but like I said, I had um, good people around me and good good support, so that that really helped. But like, um, yeah, I guess like it, it's sort of like taking me a, a different way for sure. I think you know, at the time, I was so so destined just to be a, just to be a bike rider, and um, you know, that was all, all I wanted. All I was thinking about, like at school, that that the final year at school, people were going to schoolies. I was going to races or, or training, and you know, I'd have I'd take half a day off to go training and um, that sort of thing. So it was like, it was my main, main sort of drive at that point. Um, kept me out of a lot of trouble probably. So it's, it's a good thing, I think. But um, yeah, so then to kind of um, just be thrown a big curveball and like, um, you know, you don't, you don't instantly get over it. It's like we, I had um, 12 months of chemotherapy with like some epic complications. Like I got airlifted from home to the hospital once, like um, just, just, yeah just a really rough year to be honest um and then like you know you finish your chemotherapy treatment and then it's like um you know months before you can kind of get back to a bit of normality um i had sort of you know a year year or two off after that just like kicking around um and then i just like something missing yeah a bit like that but it was also that um you know i just saw that my my fitness and like ability to race a race a bike was just taken like that so in my mind i'm thinking like maybe that's maybe i can't just do that because um your health is like if you're just going to rely on that like it, it, it it's a risk right like your health is um not to be taken for granted i think you know you can you can lose you know full health and ability to compete at a high level in in literally um a couple of days so yeah for me it was a bit more of a um a life lesson i guess and and then um yeah it probably steered me off like the professional career that, that maybe i thought i wanted um and yeah i got did an apprenticeship and um, did the hard yards and and, um, and went down that track and sort of kept kept the cycling going in, in the background but um yeah for me it was a matter of like banking something else um in my life that i could rely on other than you know cycling which was going to require my full health and i wasn't sure that i was always going to have that especially after um an initial cancer like second cancer is like you know not not out of the question for sure and um yeah even more so so yeah i mean it's it's probably um a little more kind of um sensible than like going that let like bugger it let's just go all in and, and and um go crazy it was more of like a um 
yeah, a sensible lesson learned, I guess. Well, tell me about a couple of things there. And just before we get to talking loft, I want to ask you a couple more little questions because something that I really admire about you is your mentality and what you're able to do with yourself. And something I'm actually starting to understand now is use your use of time, you know, and being out of, you've got a full-time job, you've got your own electrical business, um, that you're you're sitting in the office talking to me right now as you're doing a, a paperwork day, and then you got to get out on the tools tomorrow. Plus, you squeeze in training. I had a quick look at your Strava just to understand when you actually go out. And I was like, when does Trekkie train? You train just as much as I train when I'm a pro. However, you squeeze it in in between afterwards, somewhere around the around the bend, and you've got a young child as well. You got a growing family. You you're into go karts, mate. You you do everything. So the question I have for you is, we spoke about going overseas a couple of years ago. Maybe there was going to be an opportunity to go over and, and pursue this, this elusive dream that you spoke about. Is that something that you've really weighed up in your mind again when we were having this conversation, when this opportunity might have happened? Did you weigh that up and go, hang on, maybe one of my best assets is, is that I balance everything and cycling is my release and that's actually what's making me so good. If I go to this mentality of laying in bed getting ready for the next race you know it sounds all glamorous but it is a different lifestyle like you said it all is required about that performance tell me about that sort of thought process when you were thinking about wow maybe i should go across and pursue that dream yeah for sure i know um yeah i was yeah really um appreciative your kind of words around when we're having those discussions like i just wanted to reach out to a few people that i thought were um you know well in the knowledge in, in that in the in the pro tour scene and um just see what it's about a bit I guess but um yeah for me like I don't know I feel like that's part of it that I you know I've done a lot in in cycling um all this different disciplines and races and events um but if I was to say there's something missing that I've never never ridden in the pro peloton and um yeah obviously um you have to be good enough to do that and you also have to be um young enough so I think um while you know that boat kind of sailed for me a bit it's still it was always kind of in the back of my mind that's something that I um, probably missed out on or, or maybe, yeah, maybe just wasn't good enough. But um, I think, you know, just balancing here, you know, as I do, it's, it's, um, it is a release for sure. And the more I think about it, I'm like, oh, God, like another year of, um, you know, trying to fit, jam everything in. Like, is it worth it? Like, what, you know, what am I getting out of it? Like, what toll is it taking on me or, or my family? Um and I, each year we come around, it's contract time and I talk giant and it's the same same discussion we have. And it's like, yeah, I think I just need to do it again because um, I just I just love that release of training and like, um, yeah, even though some mornings it's, it's so shit, it's like, you know, it's so cold up here in Canberra and like, um, you know, it's just like grim, grim mornings, you know, like wake up 4.30 or whatever. Um, just the the sort of joy and like yeah release i get from from having a result and like um you know all that work paying off not just the training but like like you say like the, the balancing the time and like that toll that's taking on everything and everyone around me is like um yeah it kind of makes it worth it so i don't know but these, this is mm. all choices that i've made myself so you know it the life of like a pro is is really um yeah, desirable for me but um you know i chose this path i guess and um yeah it's just sort of where i've ended up and like um if i can train well and like get some solid results now then i mean it's really good mm, mate well i think look i honestly and not knowing you um super well but knowing you well enough i think it's made you this beautiful person that you are you know and i'm not having a go at anyone that's in the world tour but all these elements, everything that's happened in our lives, it shapes us who we are and you make these decisions. And like you said, yeah, it's always, we've always got these elusive dreams and, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. But um, I think a lot of people look up to what you have done and what you are doing as a rider, especially in, I noticed it, especially being in your scene finally. Most of the time you're coming, let's say, into my scene. And now I came into your scene and everyone everyone is looking up to Trekkie, you know, oh, what's he doing? Is he going to win today? You know, how, how much is he going to beat us by? And um, everyone takes it for granted that you're just going to cruise around and win the race. But we look at the work that goes into that. Um, that's what I was trying to get to. But 
Let's get into talking Luft. Um, let's have a little bit of fun now. Now I've rejigged the questions a little bit this week. Um, only a tiny bit because I don't know too much about mountain biking, but I thought we should better put a few little things in for you. Um, but the way it works for anyone who hasn't listened and maybe a few Trekkie, we've got four topics, style, bikes, culture, and about you with some questions underneath. You ready? Ready to go. Done, done my research. Let's, let's get into it. Perfect. All right. Well, let's start with caps, caskets, capolinos. I don't know what you call them in mountain biking. Don't don't exist. So, how do you how do you wear yours, mate? When you when you've got a cap on, when you you're cruising around the coffee shop, or you maybe you wear them when you you're being a sparky. <laughs> What's your style? You got it forwards. You got it backwards. Brim up. Brim down. Uh, I mean, the only time I really wear one is for function. Um, so on a wet day, forwards, peak up. Pure, peak up pure function i feel like yeah just just for the rain <laughs> perfect mate i don't know i don't know if, i don't have um hair flapping out the back so it doesn't doesn't look as <laughs> doesn't look as cool mate that's fine no 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 that's good you don't have to you don't have to have the mullet you know everyone wants yeah, to have a mullet but, you know, if you can't yeah. get one you can't get one <laughs> tell me when you was back in the day and you would have seen this footage too i'm i'm in the same book as you i never got to race without a helmet what would your style have been without a helmet you know did they what was the style in the mountain biking scene pre-helmets was there pre-helmet mountain bike racing there was but i that's like a long like a fair bit earlier than the than the road i would say like i think um us mountain bikers we were wise to head injuries maybe uh, you know yeah a, f- a few years before before the road but um if for me it's it would if i was in that era and on the road um it'd be just hair out i think I hair think out my, my, i think my hair's a bit of a bit of an asset so i'd be show, i'd be i'd be showing it off the volume <laughs> i love it yeah i love the confidence too very good yeah. tell me now helmet let's talk mountain biking now helmet with a peak or without uh with without i think there was a period where um peak helmets were really cool for, for cross country um obviously enduro which you're probably learning these terms um yeah. enduro peak is, is is a big thing at the moment obviously why um, what, what's the benefit of a peak oh you just look sick like <laughs> and I, don't worry i've got all the outfits i can i can be enduro i can be gravel i can be cross country yeah so i've got it all there but um yeah, for me, it's it's no peak for, for cross-country or marathon. It's just, yeah, pretty, pretty much a road helmet. Okay. Bar ends or no bar ends? I did I did use bar ends for a while. <laughs> Again, that was like a, a period of time. Jose Antonio Hermida Ramos, he was big on big on the bar ends. So Julian Absalon, a couple of names who used to rock the yep. bar ends, they'd get the rock on. Um yeah, that was, that was a cool time for it. But yeah, it's, it doesn't happen anymore. It's, mountain biking has gone a lot more like um, kind of uh, like function focused for the for, for skills rather than like, um, yeah, it's definitely heading towards like larger fork and, and shock, like larger suspension, like the trails are getting harder mm. um, and you need a more capable bike. And the ability to be able to like pedal it in a comfortable position or like rip it up a hill is like not such a focus anymore. What about, could you bring the bar ends back? How do you reckon that would go down if you just rolled up one day? You know what boys, bar ends are back. I'm bringing them back. I reckon people would probably follow you. I'm not sure they would. I <laughs> I don't, yeah. Like could you could you imagine doing the Otway with, with bar ends? Like the, your arms get hooked on enough stuff it is. Like it'd be, it'd be suicide. I You'd have to cut it. your bars shorter yeah, yeah. so they could fit on. And then they would be it's handy true. going up some of those fire road climbs, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know if they were ever that that much of a benefit, to be honest. You know, some people used to put them in inside the grips and use them as like aero bars. So yeah. like... Um, yeah, like in a long stage race or something, a like um, crocodile trophy or something. Yeah, you'd be, you, if you find some footage from that, you'd be, um, yeah, you'd see them in the middle of the bars, and, and it's like your aero bars. All right, let's move to bikes. And you're a man of many bikes: RMG, road bike, mountain bike, or gravel bike. One bike forever. Um, I think like it's for me, the road bike is where I ride with a lot of my friends, like. Um, on the regular like you know four or five times a week and the social part of it is because like i'm generally pretty busy it's like 
a really good way to um, socialize and, 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 and like in early in the mornings, you know, like it's dark, so you're not going to head on the mountain bike. It's like easier to jump on the roadie and, and ride with some friends and, and stop at the cafe if you've got time. So I think for me, like I get a lot from cycling that's, um, yeah, like with friends and, and yeah, the, the road bike allows that pretty easily. All right. Well, then one mountain bike forever, CX, trail, or is it enduro or DH? Is it CX or is it XC? Sorry, XC, isn't it? Well, XC and then um, obviously there's gravel, which is like... CX. It's similar to CX. Let's so not X, see XC <laughs> is cross country. Cross country. Trail, enduro or DH, downhill? Uh, I've never really ridden a downhill bike. That's, you know, that's not... That's way too extreme. Um, uh, probably a trail bike, to be honest, like forever because you know it's fun to ride a trail bike with friends and you can just go and like have fun and be safe on the downhills rather than um yeah but then like if you want to do a mountain ride like a ride in, in the hills which maybe i would yeah, less so when i'm older i don't know yeah what about an so enduro bike? bike yeah enduro bike trail bike same thing yeah are they yeah okay yeah. so like like a larger travel so bigger suspension um slower uphills heavier but more fun downhill but can't you like? I feel like on the on the cross country bike, Julie's now. You can do a fair bit on them, or you just need that bit more bit more suspension at the front. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, yeah, wait till you ride a, a trail bike. Yeah, right. It's just easy. I know what it? you're saying. I know what you're saying. Coming off um, a road bike, it feels like crazy yeah. for me. But then that's yeah. like an again when you're going to a trail bike, is it? It is because yeah. the position is different too. Like um, on the cross country bike, like the one you ride um it's like a race position when you're on the trail bike it's much more relaxed you're, mm. you're sitting back you're just you're just cruising it's like a harley you're like on like a gold that's right. wing. yeah right yeah, that's right <laughs> yeah, right are you a social bunch rider or hour of power well our hour of power is i would say both of those um we rip it for an hour it's uh, i don't know i haven't done bunches around the country but i reckon it's one of the quickest and hardest um I actually took the, this question from the Hour of Power from Canberra. I've so I've actually heard about this bunch. Is it still called the Hour of Power? This still called, there's the Hour of Power on Tuesday and the Hour of the Hot, the Hour yeah. of Terror on Friday. But yeah, Tuesday is like <laughs> the Hour of it's, Terror. It's antisocial for the hour, and then it's very social after. Right. So yeah. I don't know. I would. No. I, I like to go and. But if I'm getting up at four thirty and going training, I'm going to get something out of it. I'm not just going to fluff around. Well, do you have a Strava account? I know that. I've already mentioned it. You do. And do you hunt comms? I do. Uh, only when they get taken from me, I would say. Right. Yeah, yeah. So when you get the email alert, if it's someone like I loosely know or like. Um, if it's a full random, I usually just write it off as a, uh, you know, they must have been in a car or e-bike or something. <laughs> but if, <laughs> if it's someone I know, um, like Dan McConnell took a few off me the other week and then the like, next day I went out and tried to take him back and I didn't. Does Dan McConnell live up there? He lives probably 600 metres from my house. Yep. Right, right. Yep. Victorian, he's up there now. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, right. Favorite training loop of all time. You're going to have one of those loops. Everyone's going to know it. So just explain the loop. Um, someone up there in camera is going to know it. If it is in camera, it could not be. It could be the Otway loop. Who knows? Where is it? It's not the Otway loop. The Otway loop is quite a challenge, I would say. Uh, the There's a loop from here, like this is the kind of area, Stromlo. Um, it's called the Cotillera. It's like... You just it's like 40k you head out across one bridge and then that's the cotter and then the other bridge is Uriara. it's like 40k just a loop um good in the winter good in the mornings yeah safe it's the old canberra tour loop i do know it, it is yeah, believe it or yeah, not. yeah yeah junior yeah, canberra tour junior i actually Cam hated that loop future um <laughs> future conditions in the, the canberra tour when a rider comes towards you are you a wave person are you just sort of like a simple nod gesture what's your um, action I'm definitely a wave like um, I like to make an effort um, my business partner actually is quite annoying to ride with he he's like a 
G'day, mate, to every single, like, doesn't matter who they are, every single, he says g'day, and it's almost on the point of annoying. But I think a good way, a solid wave is, like, nice to, to gesture. What about the mountain biking scene? Like, I know you're not going opposite ways. Is there, is there a kind of different gesture in mountain biking? Like, just, you know, because what are you doing? You're catching up to someone or you may be seeing at the end of the trail. Is there is there a different feel on the gravel, on the trails? I think it's more of, like, um, if you're on the trails, like, and say you've caught up to someone, like you're generally going to want to get past. Um, so there's usually a conversation around that, I would say. And generally it's like super friendly, but sometimes like it depends if it's in a race or whatever. Sometimes people don't rate it. Um, what? Depending on how. Let me pass that type of thing. Yeah. Like come by or, and, and you know, like, cause it, often I guess in a race, you don't, they're not appreciating the speed difference. So it can be like affording for them. Um, but yeah, generally out on the trails, it's usually a very friendly um, exchange, I would say. Just to, yeah, get over, have a good ride. Thanks for that. Can or you, if I'm getting past, you know, it's the same thing. Can you remember a specific situation where you've tried to get past someone clearly faster than them and they've blocked you for quite a long time? Oh, it happens all the time. Oh, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Too it's, many. It, it's, uh, I understand because it's, you know, like, you know, maybe we've done 100Ks in the time it's taken them to do, you know, half of that or, or whatever. So it, it's like the big speed difference. And um, there's so many different, like, things happening in a mountain bike race, right? Some some of us are, like, racing for the win and, like, you know, semi-professional or whatever. And there's others who are just literally, like, just literally getting through the, the course. So it's so different to, like, a road a road event or, like, yeah, you've just mm. got such different levels and it's um that's kind of the beauty of it, right? Like mm. and you might someone might come up to you afterwards and say, Oh mate, sorry out there, like and you have a chat about it. So I think it's um yeah, it, it's fine. We we get through. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. All right, you've had a lot of bikes in your time, a lot of different bikes, like I said before. What is your best bike of all time? That one bike where you go, you know what, I just love that thing. And it might not be the fastest anymore, but I love that bike. Or it could be the one right today. Um, yeah, I've had a lot of bikes. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm like, and like if if I had endless money, I probably wouldn't spend it on bikes. Let's say probably some kind of engine based com- um, equipment. But um, yeah, I do love my bikes, and I like um, something that's kind of special. So for that ten years on that you said, I giant. Um, kindly we painted up a giant anthem like the 29 mm. anthem um in like australian colors after um the national marathon championship i won that year and also had like um that hashtag 10 years on um all over it as well so um something like that is just so cool to me we actually did two frames and raffled one off for the benefit of the hospital here um mm. so yeah something like that that just you know it's cool to be able to have custom stuff and um that one yeah just meant a lot to me You've kept that one? Yeah, it's in the shed, hanging up. Do you ever ride that anymore? No. 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 I've got another one at the moment, which is pretty cool, which is probably, um, yeah, it's a TCI and TCR, custom painted and some golf racing, old motorsport livery. It's pretty cool. Oh, I'll wow. probably do some more um, into, the, into the future, I think. Cool. Custom kit. All right, culture. Favorite race of all time? Could have been one you've done, could not be one, one you still want to do. I don't know. What's that favorite race that you just love? Everything about it. Um, there's an event in WA, Margaret River, called Cape to Cape. It's a four-day um, mountain bike stage race, and it kicked off for probably 10 years ago. No, over 10 years ago. Um, a good friend of mine who passed away, James Williamson, was in, he attended the first one, and they kind of formed this idea of having this race and he helped them out um and then it just grew into this this event which um like i was saying there were, there were so many different levels of of ability there but at the front of the field you always had the best guys from from oz sort of mountain bike scene there and if you managed to win a stage or like um you know, there's good money up and like there was just so much hype around around this race and it's also just an awesome place in the world and yeah, if you got a win there and stage win or you ended up winning the, the overall, like guys like um, Lockie Norris have won it, like Chris Hamilton's like, mm. yeah, done well there. And there's, there's all sorts of names have gone there and um, done well. And like, it's just a good vibe. You know, there's there's all the guys and girls are on the beers after the stage. It's just like, it's not super hard. Like it's not epic, um, which I think kind of adds to the, the mm. fun of it. Um, 
but yeah I'd, I'd recommend that one is it is it like the tool down under of the the mountain bike scene the biggest australian race you think yeah in terms of they i think they get over like two thousand people kind of competing in it um and then yeah at the front of the race it's like all, all the good guys like um dan mcconnell's usually there and like yeah when he was in the height of his like world cup career he's coming back and still racing that and mm. like um yeah just big names and and you know you're mingling with like everyone after the stage just like just really cool mm, cool your favorite rider of all time um i mean it's it's tough i think um through that kind of cancer period of mine um I looked at a lot of um, Lancer stuff hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, that time I was probably like a rock solid believer <laughs> and then, yeah, it changed, but I actually met him at Tour and Under um, in 2010, I think. Um, Pat Yonker actually organized hmm. that and that was so cool. I mean, yeah, he, he was definitely you know, for a long period of my um, earlier cycling days, you know, who who I really thought was like just a, just a great athlete and, um, yeah, I guess inspirational. Yeah, well, look, I, I guess say what you want, you know. At that time, it yeah. really worked for you and it was it was really positive and, you know, afterwards, whatever, but at that moment, it, it helped you through and it was something you could really, you know, aspire to. Yeah, that's right. And it's probably the same for a lot of people like um, – you know, if you just look at that period and what he did for the sport, um, yeah, and how many people that were looking at him as, you know, one of the best athletes in the world, um, for sure, hands down. At that, that time, he was um, he was the, the man. Mm. What about right now? Who's your favourite rider right now? Uh, I mean, I love um, – I don't know him, but I love him as an athlete and a rider, <laughs> Tom, Tom Pidcock. Oh, right. Um yeah i mean yeah the, the his his ability i've raced world cups before and like in races he's coming from 90th on this on the start into the top five and onto the podium like i can't tell you how so the way start for instance which we were both at the other week like it's like you would be starting at the back of that but with guys who were really good like yeah. not not just like a mix of guys but all you know top 100 150 guys that are on the start line and the track is not that wide for that long it's wide for maybe a kilometer fire road and then it goes to single track i just can't fathom how how he's managed manages to do that and then um yeah finish on the podium like and then obviously you know he he's very good cyclocross road um i think we'll all probably be tuning in to watch him for the to put that in perspective, it's a combination, obviously, physical ability, but his skill level has to be so good too because he's not only able to just physically... We're not talking about, like you said, going up a big fire road and he's just a strong guy that rides around everyone. It's single track on these steep uphills that he might be able to get around five or six guys. Then on the downhills, he's still got to get around some more guys too or just keep the same speed. His skill level is out of control and he's just physically a freak as well, isn't it? Yeah, this, that's the other thing. Like, how is he able to ride the downhills um, in the traffic so much quicker than than everyone else and par- and passing people? Like, it, <laughs> it it just doesn't make sense. Um, so yeah, I guess having having done, been there and done that and and um, been flogged before, like just knowing how hard that is, like that it's just incredible to see someone do that. Like, there is not many athletes, I don't think, because it, it, like you say, it's a He's, he's obviously far superior um, fitness-wise and strength, but, um, yeah, to be able to have those skills as well, like, just crazy. Tell me about your favourite kit of all time and team. And now, it could be a combination of both. It could be, you know what, I loved US Postal, I love the whole roster, and I love that kit. Or you go, look, I love US Postal, the team, but I just hated that kit, and I actually loved Orica Green Edge kit, you know, for an example. Um <laughs> What is that for you? I so around that time of Lance when he was um, kind of inspirational to me, I would say the Radio Shack team and Kit. Mm. I reckon oh, they, nice. they had they had some cool cool bikes. Um, a lot of that like Lance's Livestrong stuff was kicking around and like cool Nike Nike stuff and Nike getting into into cycling is pretty cool. I reckon and um, 
yeah, they had like that grey and red kit for a while. I reckon that was pretty cool. Yeah, nice. And that's um, the Renegades now have taken that kit on the the cricket team here in Australia. That's, I'm yes, wondering how they got the away one. with that. They just sort of pretty much just poached the exact same kit, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, the Radio Shack Renegades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me, mate, you've got to have a million of these, but just try and give us one, a war story. One day where you're just like, oh, bloody Otways, you know, like this Otway Odyssey, you know, this thing is just so hard. What is your one war story um, from one day out there? Yeah, I think you're right. Like, um, as you learn, as you do more of these, like, off-road events, I guess. So, obviously, like, Perry Bay and stuff, you have epic, epic days out. But, um, yeah, there's just so much chance for things to go wrong in, in mountain biking. I remember we did um, the Crocodile Trophy um, mm. up north. Um, I got back from a long sort of trip to Europe doing World Cups and getting flogged. We were on the hunt for um, UCI points um, for May potential Olympic selection. So we went up because the Croc Trophy had um, these UCI points to it. It was like quite well-ranked stage race. So anyway, we get back and then pretty much we got back and then flew up to North Queensland to do this um, Croc Trophy. And it's like off the bat, it's epic. Like you're camping out, like no one really um, – there's only really the camping out way to do it. Like you'll, you'll see these other races like um, KP Pig and stuff, you get like a flash camper van, but the Croc Trophy is like pretty pretty rough. brutal. Yeah. yeah, it's rough. You sleep rough. Like the food's like, yeah, it's it's, av- it's average. Yeah, rough. Um, <laughs> and it's just hot. Like anyway, the first couple of nights I was like, oh, what is this? Like, but we got to maybe three or four stages in. I think it was nine or ten stages is and it, they were long. Is it on just roads or is it track? It's it's more track now, like there's single track now, but a lot of it is just outback roads. I remember we went um we started getting quite quite a way out, um, like remote. And this one stage just started and finished at the same little town and and it's it's a weird race because there's like um all these Europe you, you head up to this Australian race. But there's like two Australians there. The rest are Europeans. Yeah, right. And and the guys that have come over are really strong, like um, ex sort of or ex or current marathon like world championships champions and that sort of stuff. Like really strong guys. So anyway, this stage we bloody it was so hot even at the start, and it was maybe it was like 130k or something, and big climbs. And a couple of days before that, maybe I was in like I think I maybe was in second overall. Um, and anyway, we head out on this day and um, they all had really good support, which was, seemed crazy because um, they obviously they weren't from here, but I'm from here and I had I had good support as well. But they, they, they had people out on the road. Like like like, yeah. like a road race, like Swan Years and stuff. Handing yeah, models like diff- out. Yeah, different points. And I'm yeah. like, how are they sorting this out? Anyway, <laughs> um, and it was just so hot. And I remember running out of water and we get to this um, feed and, and we come in with a bunch of five or six and these – there was this guy I was battling for second or third and um, I just remember like his, his bottle and everything his, that he wanted to pick up was right there and I get there, I'm out of water and it's like hot, it's like 40 degrees and it's out, we're proper out back and I just can't find my water and I'm in this group, right, and it's like maybe it's still like 70K to the finish and then if you're not in a group, like it's shit. So mm. anyway, they've all gotten their bottles, taken off and then I'm searching around, I need the water and I ended up riding by myself like to the rest of the day. And I remember rolling in this shitty little town, like the camp, I didn't even want to go back to the campsite because it was so hot and so shit. And and we get back there and I'm just like rolling into the town. It's just been an epic day. I'm pretty sure there was tears rolling down my face as we as I rolled into the finish. It was just one of those days where you just like, yeah, don't, don't know why you were there. Or, yeah, you had heaps of time as well to think about it. Once they'd gone, you're like, oh, That's right. I'm out of water. I'm out here on my yeah. own. I yeah. could have just been there. Like I could yeah. probably still see him in the distance. And I just had this feeling of like, this is my bloody country and yeah. here, here I am getting shafted. Like you guys are getting all the – yeah, it just it just had that feeling like they were kind of ganging up on me in my own country. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's been there's heaps though. Mountain biking happens all the time. Brilliant, mate. Well, let's get about you. Last segment here, um, BWS, beer, wine, or spirits. What's your poison of choice? Um, it's beer. I'm a four. I'll drink 4X. 4X? Goldies or Black Rats? Goldies. Goldies. Well, I don't think they're called Black Rats. I think they're just Blackies, aren't they? I don't know. What do you call them? Bitters? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I the just, Goldies I just are the, the mid-strengths. Yeah, they are. You can drink yeah. about like 12 or 14 of them and then drive home. <laughs> You might be out of 
<laughs> so the tradies tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, what about coffee? What coffee do you drink? What's your coffee routine? You start, you know, with a early morning sort of espresso, 4 a.m., get up, get going, or you make get up a bit earlier and have the time, put a percolator on, watch it brew at 3.30 um, in the morning. No, my routine used to be, I've got a, we've got a kick-ass coffee machine, which I love, but it's since we've had, um, since I've had our daughter, it's too noisy to fire up at, at 4.30. So it's grim, but I just have like a coffee bag before I go out training. A coffee bag, uh, like a tea bag just, coffee bag. I yeah, haven't like heard that one. I know about them, yeah. but I haven't heard anyone say that, right? Yeah, just a, just one bag before we head out. And then, um, yeah, I actually drink a lot of coffee. Like um, I, I don't order anything other than a triple shot. So I pump, yeah, probably too many of them. Like I'll have one at the cafe and then one when I get home with breakfast and then, yeah, a couple at work usually. It's, it's probably too much to be honest. What, yeah, what is it? I like it strong. With milk or just straight up, give me a triple espresso? With milk, but um, always a small. So it's yeah. just a small triple shot. Yeah. Little magic, yeah, nice. Little magic, yeah, yeah. It keeps me going. I'm generally a tired person, I think. So <laughs> it sounds like it, mate. <laughs> what is your favourite cross training exercise, if there is one? Um, I don't cross train at all, to be honest. I, I, I used to swim well, but I don't do it anymore. Um, I think my coach, I was um, sort of chatting about it with him, and he he agreed with me, like. You don't have much time, so whatever time you have, just ride your bike. And I think that's good. And to be honest, my job is quite physical as well. We install a lot of um, solar panels. So, uh, you know, some some days I'll be lifting like 50 solar panels onto a roof. So I feel like I'm getting, you know, that all-around kind of um, strength, just, just that work. So, yeah, for me, it's just on the bike. Mm, perfect. What is your me- most rewatchable race? What's that one race out there that you know you like, or you know, if someone hasn't seen it, what's that one race that you is the most rewatchable race? Yeah, I was um, thinking about this. That um, what I would say when I've watched some of the other podcasts, and I, I like a lot of the, the the classics like Flanders and Roubaix. I often put them on while I'm on the ergo and um, watch them. But for sure, um, my friend Dan McConnell won a World Cup in 2000. 13 in um, Germany, Elbstadt. Um, and it's hard to describe what a big deal that is, but um, yeah, same as I was saying about um, Pidcock, like having having raced those races and, and been in that scene much more briefly than he has. But like he, I don't think he um, had a top 20 prior to this this race and mm. and definitely not in Europe. Like the, the Australian um, legs of the World Cup are often easier to get a better result because there's not that many Europeans. But in Europe, it's like very hard to get a result. So he's gone from like, yeah, dabbling around the top 30 to to taking a win. Like, So we're about to get things underway here. Oh, and Mark, well, Marco Fantana's keen. I think he jumped the gun there. And look at the pace of these riders as they go up this first climb, jostling for position. They want to get into the woods in the first, in first place so they don't get caught up on the uh, any of the descents and you can see why. So slick. We've had a fair bit of rain now. Oh, and it's like dancing on ice. Julian Absalon making his move. New team for him this year. Changed the Orbea. Started riding on the 29-inch wheel as well. And now Absalon makes his move. Julian Absalon, like I said, the most successful man bike rider of all time. But right now, Julian Absalon out front, setting the pace, reveling in these difficult conditions. Absolutely epic performance from him. And here's Daniel McConnell on screen now, on the Red Bull uphill. Slowly moving forwards. Oh, well, Absalon, he looks like his rear derailleur's come off. And it looks like Absalon not very happy about it, as you can understand. Wow, the back wheel has actually come clean out of that bicycle. But it's all about Manticuan Guitaras at the moment. One hour, 21 minutes have passed. And he looks comfortable out front. And in third place, Fabian Geiger. Kulhavi there in fourth. Flukinga McConnell, you're chasing group of three riders. And we're on the final lap. And here's that tracing Chio now. Battling for second spot, but can they close the gap to Manticon? So we're about the halfway point of the last lap. And Manticon really is coming under pressure. McConnell there in second place. Got around Kulhavi. 
So Daniel McConnell, the Australian, having the ride of his life. Here he is, he's on the back wheel of Manicon. Well, that's unbelievable. The time he must have took out of him on that climb is incredible. And we're going to have a sprint finish, ladies and gentlemen. So Manicon Guitar is the Spanish rider. Hasn't got anything left left. McConnell goes around the outside of him. I don't think he can respond. He's used every ounce of his energy around this course here today in these grueling conditions. And Daniel McConnell, the Australian, in a sprint for the line, takes his first ever World Cup win. Unbelievable ride for the Trek rider. Absolutely incredible. I don't think even he expected that. What a performance. Breathtaking ride. Breathtaking. It's ridiculous. Um, I was hoping for a top 20. That would have been my best result. And podium's ridiculous. And to come away with a win, I'm just speechless. It's unbelievable. I think it's the way, because I've watched this race too, I think it's the way he won it as well. Because it sounds like too, the way you're setting it up, or even the way I sort of saw it happening, I'm like, oh, maybe it's, you know, it's a lucky chance. There was one bit of luck for him. Julian Absalon, his chain sort of gets buggered. He was way out in front, whether he could have hung on or not. But the Spanish, um, what's his name? Mantecon. Mantecon, yeah. Yeah, Mantecon. He was also way out. And then all of a sudden, at one lap to go, Dan's 30 seconds down in sixth place. And like you said, he's sort of just hoping to hang there for top 10. He's already happy with that result. It was an epic day. It's so wet. There's guys crashing yeah. everywhere. It just was epic. I love, we say that word so much, but this was epic. And he only catches him, the Spanish dude, at the bottom of the last ascent. Yeah, it's, it's maybe 500 or 400 metres to go. And he's the thing is, like, obviously Dan's done a lot of um, European racing, but, like, to to outride them in those conditions that we don't have here, um, again, it's, like, it's just unbelievable. Like, And, and he just gets the gets to the finishing straight and just motors straight past um, Manticon and, um, yeah, takes the win. It's just, like... Yeah, it's hard to describe how, what level that is. Like, oh, mm. you know, at the front of those races, you're talking about like there's some of the fittest humans, you know, on the planet. Like, just and to beat them in their own like muddy conditions, like just a proper, um, yeah. It's an epic race. I've got to go and check that one out. I'll put it up in the show notes. Mate, what's in your headphones? Are you a headphone guy when you head out in those early mornings sometimes when you go out riding? Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, it- I don't ride by myself that often. Um, but if I do, it's usually, I don't want a bit of R&B. Mm. Yeah. What, like 90s R&B or new stuff? Uh, old stuff, but also um, like, like the weekend, you know, the weekend. Mm. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah, nice. Best thing, mate, for you about riding a bike, what's that one thing um, that you really just love, you know, that's kept you going all these years and, and actually on those early mornings? Uh, I think it must. I don't know that it is for sure, but there's something subconsciously that I think um, we enjoy the pain, right? Or like the suffering, I guess, and then reward. So as you're heading out, you're like kind of anticipating a level of suffering and maybe um, not in looking forward to it as much. But once you're done, you're like, mm. gee, I'm glad I went and suffered this morning. Um, so I think it must be that, that I keep wanting to do it. It's just that amazing feeling, isn't it? It sets you up for the whole day. You yeah. couldn't be bothered. You get up, you do it, and you just know that feeling in the back of your mind, it's going to be so good when I get this done and start the day. Yeah, you can talk to my wife, my um, people I work with. They'll tell you if I haven't ridden, ridden in the morning, they'll know. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, God, mate, just go out and do a ride and then yeah. come back to work. You're so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tricky, mate, thanks for coming on the pod. It's been great talking to you, and um, you better get back into it full day of work ahead <laughs> it's been a pleasure and uh yeah an honor and um yeah it's, it's great to see what you're doing with the pod cheers mate well how much did you love listening to brendan talk about his story and talk about talking loft He's a great guy and a really, really lovely fellow. He was great to talk to on the podcast, but I love speaking to him when I'm out on the bike about mountain biking these days, but previously about road stuff. Very, very down to earth. And like I said at the podcast, the pinnacle of what we love about cycling. This is a guy who squeezes it in, 
but it gives his life a such a whole rounded sort of feel about it. He's working, he's got the family, but he makes sure writing is a big part of his life too. That was Talking Luft this week, and of course, like I said, that doesn't happen with our major sponsor, Rafa. Those guys are really helping these episodes come alive this year, and I'm really thankful for that too. I love being associated with the company, and I think you guys know that already. Of course, Lara behind the scenes, and Will Jones, who puts these episodes together. Next week, I've got a really good guest, an icon from London, Alec Briggs. He started his own team called Techers. I'm not going to say too much more about that. This is a fantastic story. He'll be next week on the podcast, so hang in for that, guys. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.